Welcome to Lossiemouth United Free Church Sermons Online. We're glad you could join us as we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want more information about our services or about church life, please head over to our website at lossieufchurch.org for more resources. Let's hear God's word together. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people, and those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and, who, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile, and it sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vaults upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Syrians from Ker? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations, as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. The Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Just in case the notes end up in the basin. Last week, in our penultimate study in Amos, we considered, as we came to chapter 8, that the people have left things far too late. They have played on the edge of what we call the precipice too long, 
And now judgment is coming and nothing can stop it. The people of Israel have kept on sinning and doing wrong in the eyes of the Lord, as if nothing would happen to them, that there would be no consequences, and now they are about to discover otherwise. As we saw, they had misunderstood God's grace. They had cheapened it so that they believed that they could keep on sinning and God would just turn a blind eye. Now, because of their pride and arrogance, they had become as the image of basket of that basket of fruit portrayed a nation ripe for judgment. It was a powerful reminder that we live in a period of grace when repentance and forgiveness can be sought and people can get themselves right before the Lord. But that time will not last forever. We look towards the rest of the chapter in terms of something like a court case where the charges are brought, the verdict delivered and the sentence given. The charge is obvious to us by this point. Those selfish desires that push what is important to the very verges of their lives and that of their nation. They have turned from God and removed them from their daily living. The relevance of this book for our day has been quite striking as we see the problems of our own day reflected in the mirror of Amos. Of course, every charge requires a verdict, which can't be anything other than guilty as charged. As we noted, they certainly, the certainty of their sentence has become as certain as their immovable attitude, that attitude of pride. And the Lord declares, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. The partying will turn to mourning and they will pay the price for their crimes against a holy and perfect God. A famine, not of physical food, but of the spiritual life-giving food of God's words will come upon them. The famine that they will experience for the rejection of God's word will be the withdrawal of God's words. And we saw in the text that frantic search for the words. And because they dismissed it, we no longer know where to find its truths. And one of the consequences was the loss of young lives, the loss of a generation or generations. A whole generation that need the nourishment of God, not able to find it. The book of Amos stands as a warning to the dangers of rejecting God's word, both as individuals, but importantly, as a nation what the consequences will be. Generations confused and searching, going to a lost eternity. Those that know nothing of the truth of God's promise. All of this sadly playing out before our eyes in our own land. And of course the question that all this left us with, will we heed the warnings? Or will we continue along a path towards God's judgment coming upon us as a nation? It was our prayer as we finished that by God's mercy he would revive and restore our nation to once again feed upon the life-giving food of the word of God so that we might know his blessings once more. Today as we come to chapter 9 we arrive at the final chapter of Amos and therefore our final study in this book that has been so relevant for us. As the chapter opens so it begins 
Amos's final kind of climactic vision of judgment and the announcement of Israel's destruction as he declares to them, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. It's an awesome sight. It's the picture of God as judge standing poised to exercise his holy judgment upon a rebellious people. In the previous visions, we have used the introduction, or we've seen the introduction used, this is what the Lord showed me. But Amos declares, I saw the Lord. It is the phrase used by Isaiah with the great vision given to him of the Lord sitting upon his throne. And what we see here in both of these visions and both the prophets is an encounter with the Lord that displays his sovereignty and his might. The time for pleading and throwing themselves upon the mercy of God is over and the time for judgment is now upon Israel. We're given this image of the Almighty standing by the altar, but he does not remain silent and we're drawn back in a full circle to our opening chapter of the God who speaks. The opening verse begins to unpack what's about to come about, what's about to take place. The very place where they had access to God will fall. The temple will be destroyed as it is shaken to the ground. They turned their shrines into places of idolatry and they had desecrated the holy places and now the temple at Bethel would be destroyed. Not only would there be famine of the word of God as we considered last week, but the Lord will destroy the very means of access to him. As one writer notes, the removal of access to God is at the center of the vision. Yahweh is not standing at the altar to receive worship or bless. He is there to destroy. The Creator summons the forces of nature to destroy this idolatrous shrine as it has become. It is a reminder of the fact that the way to seek mercy will not be accessible forever. The judgment will come and that it is inescapable. We read, not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. In our naivety or ignorance when we are outside the kingdom of God, we sometimes think that we can avoid God, that we wouldn't need to deal with him, or all that he's about is simply nonsense or rubbish. The old story, it wouldn't happen to me. If I denied God, I wouldn't have to deal with him. But the truth is that we all need to deal with God in one way or another when we come to the end of our lives, either in his mercy or his judgment. None will escape. None will be missed out in the last day. And so the question is, on which side will we be found? Will our name be found in the Lamb's book of life? Look at the passage. How from the depths of shore to the heights of heaven there is no place to hide. Adam and Eve discovered this in the garden when they tried to hide from God. And of course they found it to be a futile task. There's now no refuge for them as the judgment will rain down. And even the heights of Mount Carmel will shrink back as the lion roars. 
As verse 3 makes clear, even the great creatures of the sea will do his bidding. In verse 4 we see, in the hands of their captors they will not be spared. We see God's declaration, I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The weapons of their enemies will become God's instrument for their destruction. The entire passage makes us somewhat uncomfortable, and so it should. Judgment is a truly terrible thing. And this desire to domesticate God, as we called it in our opening studies of Amos, will not serve us well. The world likes to portray God as you know, that old man floating on the clouds somewhere. But Scripture paints a very different picture, a true picture. It is easier to think of God as the world does. Indeed, the church has even been guilty of trying to soften and niceify the God we serve. Well, that's simply the God of the Old Testament, not the New. Now he's the God of love, people will say. But what does God himself tell us through his word? That he's unchanging the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God's wrath is real, his judgment true. And that's what makes his grace even more amazing. As Israel's story doesn't end here, and neither does ours. However, before we jump too far ahead, we must consider the remainder of the judgment section. In verses 5 and 6, we further see the nature of God as the one that has power over the earth and the heavens, which means in judgment he is able to do all that he has promised. But also in a positive sense, he is able to do and be all that he is claimed to be. He is the foundation upon which we can establish our lives. He is the one that can guide us through this life and can complete the good work that he has begun in us. He's the one that controls the seas, establishes the mountains. And we see echoes of Psalm 46 that declares, Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. God guards his own and will call out a people from the rebellious nation. Verse 7 shows that the nation has shown themselves to be no different to the nations around them in the eyes of the Almighty. They may try and claim their privileged position as the people of the covenant, but they have shown themselves to be people of the world. God will not break the covenant with his people, but neither will he let them mock him or mock it. Now if we stop there, if, if Amos finished in the early parts of chapter 9, we would be leaving here on a pretty depressing note. But wonderfully, it doesn't, as the title refers to, in anger, remembering mercy. In verse 8, if we look closely there, we see that first glimmer of hope. As it says there, we read, Except, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Even though we have just seen the whole nation condemned, there will be a remnant that survives the judgment because they have listened and responded to the prophet's warnings and they have sought the Lord. 
In verse 9, we see that metaphor of sieving out, which separates the true believer from the false, just as the plumb line of chapter 8 does. We are reminded that for those of the Old Testament, salvation came through faith and obedience. For the, for the people of the old, faith looking forward to the promises of God that will be fulfilled in Christ. And for the New Testament believers such as ourselves, faith looking back at those promises now fulfilled. As we read in Matthew of the final great judgments, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from, another, from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This idea of sieving out. Now none of us can argue that the focus throughout this book, this book has not been judgment. But nonetheless we see We've seen glimmers of hope even before we arrive at the closing passages. Amos has, has pointed to the faithfulness of God and the hope for those that turn to him. Indeed, one of the purposes of declaring judgment is to cause people to turn back to God in repentance. We've noted at various stages of our studies the covenant between God and his people, first made with Abraham and affirmed with Isaac and Jacob. The Sinai covenant, covenant made with Moses and then the Davidic covenant that promises an eternal throne. It is this covenant relationship with his people that makes the severity of God's judgment necessary where ultimate hope and salvation are available to the faithful. And the final passage looks towards yes, the return from exile that will happen but this really is only a partial fulfillment of the passage as it looks further into the future still. The terms in that day and behold the days are coming are eschatological in nature, meaning that they look also to the end times, to the last days. The return from exile that will take place immediately in the context of the passage will be minus a Davidic king. And so that immediate fulfillment cannot be the end of it. This vision that Amos has cannot be the full picture that God is painting. And of course we now know that the fulfillment is found in Christ, who establishes the eternal throne from the line of David. This is where the real hope of the passage and indeed the whole book lies. The great themes that have been picked up on from the beginning of Amos' climax here in the final passage as we see again that God is the Lord of history. As his plans are worked out and he restores all that is broken and rebuilds what has been torn down. The new heaven and the new earth of revelation give us sight of these great realities as God's redemptive work is completed as it is finished. Right through history as recorded in the scriptures and beyond. We have seen points where God's plans appear to hang by a thread. Here only by a small remnant. But his covenant promises and relationship are never broken. As his plans continue unthwarted by human design. 
or even the powers of darkness. One of the other great themes that we've seen is that God is Lord over creation. As at last the curse of Adam is removed in Christ, the second Adam. And so the references to the famine through the book, we see now fertile vineyards and gardens of fruits. As one writer puts it, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Our present sinful world seems to suggest that he did not succeed. But Amos, with the other prophets, point to a coming day when creation will be brought to glorious fulfillment for all eternity. This is why the prophets continue to have a message for today. Their words might find partial fulfillment in their own day or soon thereafter. But more importantly, they also speak from an eternal perspective with a lasting message to God's people. They lift our heads and point us forward to the hope that is ahead of us. It is this future hope that keeps us straining toward straining forward to that day of the upward call of Jesus. And of course, we could not forget that great theme of the God who speaks, which really takes us kind of full circle to where we began in chapter 1. As we look at the passage, we see the power of God's words as they bring judgment and they bring blessing. What Amos records for us is not some wildly imagined future, for there is certainty in Amos's words. Certainty because they are the word of God. The Almighty has been shown to be consistently faithful to his word in Amos's day and beyond as the prophet's words come true. And so we trust his word today. And as the Lord roars from Zion and not simply from Jerusalem, again our view is widened beyond his people simply being a nationality, but about being a people of faith as it always has been. The scope of God's redemptive plan extends to all nations, all tongues and all tribes as he calls true believers the church his bride to meet him on that great day where there will be the marriage supper of the Lord and of the Lamb. We are reminded of his eternal dwelling place as he exercises his rule and reign. And so the final chord that is struck by Amos is God's mercy even in the midst of of his anger, which leads to future hope of looking towards the coming kingdom and the Davidic king, of God's separation of the wheat and the chaff, of the day of the Lord, when the prophet's words will finally and fully be fulfilled. We burst out of the tunnel of darkness of Amos' judgment oracles into the light of the hope of Christ as we end. And only through properly proclaiming judgment do we fully see the heights and the depths and the breadth of the love and mercy God has shown to our world. And so the question that we are left with today is will we take the full counsel of God's word to our needy world? Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you and as we 
finish this study in Amos. We give thanks for the point that it takes us to, that we see the mercy that you have shown to our world, mercy so great and deep and broad, like we reflect upon, like trying to count the drops of the ocean, an impossible task. And so as we go from this place, we pray that we would take that word, the full counsel of your word, to a world so needy to hear it. And that as we declare you as judge, we also declare you as saviour. The one that is gathering a people for himself out of every tribe, tongue and nation. A message for all to hear. And Lord, we pray that many would respond and we would see a great harvest. So Lord, hear our prayers and go before us, we ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen.